Mark chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed proclaimed to all nations and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say but say whatever is given to you in that hour for it is not you who speaks but the Holy Spirit and brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all For my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it not be happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord has not cut short the days, no human being will be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he choose, he shortened the days." And then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, as I have told you all these things beforehand. But in those days, after after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Well, let me um, invite you to turn again to Mark 13. There are a few verses left um, of that passage. I have to say that... uh, Today seems a little bit like a preacher's gift as I look at the clock, which gives me an hour and a half uh, to speak. 
so be warned. <laughs> Mark 13, and uh, we'll take up the reading now at verse number 28. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, as he concludes what is known as the Olivet Discourse. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gate. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, Stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Amen. May God's word touch our hearts uh, today. So today we're going to be thinking about what I've I've entitled the forgotten part of Easter. If we were to take a little poll uh, about what we felt the main parts, uh, the highlights of Easter were, uh, I'm pretty sure we would would be talking about the triumphal entry, Uh, we would be talking about the crucifixion, we would be talking about the resurrection. But this is part of the Easter story because it comes between the triumphal entry and and the cross of Christ. This takes place on the Wednesday of the final week. The Thursday is when the Passover was celebrated and the Lord's Supper was initiated. And on the Friday morning, the Lord Jesus was put upon the cross. This is Wednesday. It's only two days before the death of Christ uh, takes place. And he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking over onto the, the temple. He's made a comment about the temple. He said to his disciples who were, you know, waxing lyrical about these magnificent stones and these tremendous architectural buildings, he said, there's not going to be one stone of these left upon the other. And so they ask him, and they say, you know, when it, two questions really, you know, when is this going to happen? And, and what will the signs of this happening be? And, and this is what he now talks about. This is what he answers them as he is sitting there with them, looking across the valley up into the temple in in Jerusalem. Now, what happens here 
is uh, very much in the, the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. Now, what I mean by that is this, that very often when the Old Testament prophets spoke about future events, they, they wove a couple of strands together at the same time. And very frequently they talked about things that were in the immediate future, and then they talked about things that were much further on in the future. And so in this passage, there are two things really that are being talked about. One is that the temple was going to be destroyed, and that was going to be in AD 70. This is AD 30, round about. And um, the Romans would do that. If you want to see some motifs that describe that, you go to Rome and you see some of the stuff in Rome and it shows you engraven on some of the arches there the destruction, the sacking of Jerusalem that took place under the general called Titus. It's written about by the, um, the Jewish historian Josephus as well. But in addition to that, he goes further to the future. And this passage therefore is not just about what happened when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. It is also about when the Lord Jesus Christ will return again to this world. Now, to give you a little example of how the Old Testament people did this as well, this is not a new kind of approach or technique. Uh, You may remember when the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 4 went back to Nazareth, which was the town in which he was brought up, and into the synagogue, and the scroll from the prophet Isaiah was delivered to him. And he began to read it from Isaiah 60. And it said there that, 61 rather, and it said there that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And, and he sat down after he read that passage and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Now if you have got an eagle eye, and you were to have gone back and looked at that passage in Isaiah 61, hundreds of years before, you would have noticed that Jesus stopped his reading, bang, halfway through a sentence. Because the next part of the sentence was not about him coming to preach good news to the poor, but it was about the day of vengeance of our God. Two things Isaiah prophesied, but two different timescales. Involved in it. And this very much is in that kind of vogue. Jesus has already predicted his sufferings. We've noticed that, that in the last couple of chapters, on three different occasions, he spoke to his disciples and he said to them that he was going to suffer. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be despised and rejected by the priests. I'm going to lose my life. The Son of Man is going to suffer. He looked down a few days uh, into the future and he predicted what was going to take place. He knew what was going to happen. But he knew other things too. He doesn't just now look down a few days or weeks into the future and make a prediction. He looks down, you know, what we might call the corridors of time. He looks down the centuries. And he makes a prediction about what will take place in the future. And in particular, he makes the prediction about his coming again to this world. And what he says, 
He says very definitely, when if you look down at verse 31, he says, you know, heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away. I mean, you might think uh, it's highly unlikely that this world is going to pass away. Or that the heavenly bodies will pass away one day. They will pass away. I mean, that will happen. But one thing that certainly will never happen is that this word of Christ, and this, of course, refers to the whole Bible. There are only two things in this world that are eternal. One is you and me. We will, we will live forever. Our souls will live forever. Either in the presence of God or banished from the presence of God. And the Bible. The Bible is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away. The word of Christ will not pass away. We should treasure this. We should, we should realize the importance of it. We should be listening to it. And we should have confidence therefore. When we come to listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us. He's teaching us this with, with a sense of, of certainty. And we can have every confidence in what he says. Which means that when he spoke about his death in advance. Knowing that it would take place. The death of Christ was more than just the fact that he came up against corruption. That he stood up against the system. And because of that he died as a martyr died. Like so many people have done who've stood up against the system. It was much more than that. There was much more significance to it. The death of Christ as we have been reminded already today. Is something that deals with the greatest need of humanity. Which is the, the whole issue of our sin before God. That we have broken his laws and that we stand guilty. The whole world stands guilty before God and the issue of sin needs to be dealt with. The only person who could deal with that was the the sinless Lamb of God. And we say as John the Baptist said all those years ago when he looked upon Jesus as he walked and pointed. We also point today and say, behold the Lamb of God who bears away The sin of the world. That's what the death of Christ was about. That's what he predicted. And as surely as that happened. He predicts his coming again to this world. And he asks us to believe in that. He asks us to believe in him. The first coming was predicted. As he left his father's home above like we sang emptied himself was born as a child the death of Christ at Calvary was predicted in graphic detail the destruction of Jerusalem is predicted the coming of Christ in the future is predicted there is absolutely no doubt about that as far as the word of God is concerned that Jesus will come back wickedness will be condemned and judged finally and fully and believers will be saved and taken into the kingdom of God forever. Now, it's a big chapter, but I've got three uh, brief points to try and get the main things across. Uh, We're going to speak about, first of all, 
some of the warnings that come up in this passage. That will take us uh, down to the end of verse 13. Then from verse 14, we're going to speak about the idea of desolation. You'll see that word comes up. And then finally, we're going to talk about the coming of the Son of Man in power uh, from the, 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 the end of the chapter. So there are a lot of warnings here in this, in this passage that Jesus gives. Um, let me just try and point out some of them for us to, to think about. Verse number 5. Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Very easy to be led astray. Some people and some ideas seem very plausible, can seem convincing. The majority might hold to them. But he says, be careful. See that no one leads you astray. He's talking about the course of history up until our point. He says that, you know, people will come in my name, claim to represent me, and also saying that they are the Messiah. Don't believe them. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, and people making a prediction that this is the fact that Jesus is just about to return again, Don't believe that either. Don't be deceived by so-called false messiahs and, and false prophets. These things, he says, in verse number 8, are only but the beginning of birth pains. It's a long while still to come. Don't allow yourself to be taken in. It's worth asking that question, isn't it, for us all? Is it possible that I I might be taken in? That I can be led astray by the things that I hear, things that I read, taken down the the wrong road altogether? It's a warning to us today, just to reflect and ask the question, am I possibly being deceived by what I now believe in? Be careful. In who you believe. Be careful what you believe. He says. See to it that you're not led astray. Second warning is at verse number 9. Where he says. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. It always reminds me not just of the swordsman. But at the start of a boxing match. When the the ref says that. You know always defend yourself. Uh, at all times, and I remember seeing a particular fight where the guy put his hands down at one point and he, he, was, he was knocked out. You know, you need to be on your guard at all times. He's talking here about the people of God and how they will be persecuted and how their lives will be difficult over the centuries that were to follow. Beaten. Standing before governors and kings for my sake and persecuted for that as they preach the gospel to all nations. Brought to trial to the extent that brother will deliver brother over to death. That families will be torn asunder because they will be so antagonistic to what they perceive as toxic Christianity. And people who claim Christ's name and stand for him 
and witness for him will be put to death and sometimes at the instigation of members of their own family. You, you need to be careful. You need to be on your guard at all times because of, of the difficulty, because of the, the real difficulty that you may, may well be in because you've taken a stand for Christ and the opposition that that will provoke. You, and you need to endure through all of that. And here's the, the, the point of application, verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And that's a very key point, actually, as far as our understanding of the Bible is concerned. The importance of endurance. The, the importance of perseverance. Jesus is very clear that a Christian is not some sort of flash-in-the-pan emotional response to a preacher or to a presentation about Christ. It has to do with sticking with things. In fact, did you not say the person who puts his hand to the plough and who turns back is not fit for the kingdom of God? This is known as the perseverance of the saints. The, 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 the thing that is the true litmus test of genuine Christianity is not what I say. You know, it's not I've got the words and the jargon and the patter. It's it's whether I stick with him through thick and thin, even to the extent of the stuff we've been talking about here. It's, and thankfully, perseverance is much, much more about God's grip on me than my grip on him. And because his grip is on me, and if my faith in him is genuine, then Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, the person... He who has begun a good work in you, he will carry that on to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example, another example of this kind of idea of of perseverance and ask you to turn uh, to the book of Hebrews at this stage. Hebrews uh, chapter 10 and uh, verse number 36. People who were having a really difficult time. Not long after Christ said these words. Hebrews 10.36 For you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God. You may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come. And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And he moves into Hebrews chapter 11 with the great catalog of the faithful, those who endure, those who live their life by faith and not by sight, who persevered. Right to the end. That doesn't mean to say that we don't make mistakes. But it means that the, the, the thrust, the direction of our lives is persevering and standing and not turning back. So these are some of the solemn warnings that we have here. There are a few actually at the end as well where I read 
verse 33, verse 35. Be on guard. Keep awake. You don't know when the time will come. Stay awake. Verse 37. Stay awake. The Son of Man will come. And no one knows when that will be. Remarkably, angels don't know that. And the Son himself. It is in the counsel of the Father. We don't know. Which, of course, makes it completely ridiculous. All these predictions that people make over the years about these things. But stay awake. Be awake. That's the warning. Because on a day that you don't know, the Son of Man will return. We need to be prepared and to be ready for the coming of Christ. So that was my first point. Points about warnings. Now, the second point is taken up from verse number 14. Where he talks about something called the abomination of desolation. When you see that. So something very particular is now being highlighted. Up until now he's saying these things, terrible although they are, famines and earthquakes and persecutions. They are just but the beginning of labor pains. The labor pains have still to really come on. The contractions have still to come really on. But now, here is the bit. It's this thing. This thing that is called the abomination of desolation. And interestingly, he puts in brackets, almost like a little code, let the reader understand. Do we understand what he's getting at? Do we understand what he's referring to? Well, if you're not aware of that, when you go home, read the prophecy of Daniel in chapter 9 and also at the end of chapter 12 of Daniel. Fascinating passages. And and this is what is being referred to because this phrase comes up twice. The abomination that causes desolation. Clearly, we don't have time to get into that today. But let me just say one thing. Because it is quite clear from, from the Bible as a whole what is being referred to. This, this refers to, of course, what popularly is known as the coming of the Antichrist. That there will be a personality, a worldwide ruler, that will, will come to the fore as far as our world is concerned. And, and that person will be completely anti-Christ. In the book of Revelation, he's given another title. He's referred to as the beast. He's he's motivated and manipulated satanically. And uh, the Bible says a lot about this person. So, for instance, let me get you to turn again to the New Testament, to the book of 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2. Interestingly, when Paul uh, visited Thessalonica... In the book of Acts, I think he was only there for two weeks. And, um, and yet it's quite clear that he spoke to them about this subject uh, during that brief time when he visited the city. So, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. 
For that day, that is the coming of the Lord, will not come unless, unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now that is the abomination of desolation. When this man installs himself in the temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem and proclaims himself to be God and to be deserving of the worship of humanity. Now look further down there at verse number 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. So this is what the Lord Jesus is now referring to here in this talk upon the Mount of Olives. And when that happens, it triggers something. It triggers something that is absolutely awful. And look at the way that it's described in verse number 19. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. I mean, we think back and think of the desolations and the tribulations that have been part of our weary, sorry world, even in this last year or so. It says this time is un- unparalleled in its awfulness. A terrible time will come as far as this world is concerned. So elsewhere known in the book of Jeremiah as the day of Jacob's, the, of Jacob's, the time of Jacob's trouble. And if you want to read more about what that will be like, you read the majority of the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 19. An awful time that will come upon this world of ours. Again, this is going to be characterized, verse 22, by false Christs, false prophets, signs, wonders of often done in the name of Christ, in the name of religion, people able to do these signs and wonders that will seem to be so convincing and will seem to be more so plausible that the majority of people, apart from the true believers, will be duped and taken in. Many will be led astray and if possible, if it were possible, such is the convincing nature of them, even the elect as well. Can I just pause at this point and say to to Christians who are here that as far as we are concerned, we will never experience this. We will never experience this. For prior to these terrible events, the church of Christ will be taken away, will be snatched away. This is what Every, every week, the Christians throughout all ages have anticipated. They do this until the Lord comes. They had the, they had the aspiration and they had the complete belief that Christ could come at any time. What is clear here 
is that as far as the coming of Christ in great power and glory is concerned, they couldn't expect that to be any time because there were all these things that had to happen first. And so, thankfully, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, that Christian people are not appointed unto wrath. That the Lord will come and take his people away first before this terrible time comes and the world is affected by it prior to his coming in great power and glory. So that is a reassurance. That is a comfort for the believer who is part of the church of Christ. Now the final point. The coming of the Son of Man. Verse number 26. After that tribulation, it says that the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. There will be cataclysmic events on the earth as well as in the heavens. And then at that point, every eye will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power. And glory. Every eye will see him. And people will mourn. Because of him. They will realize the massive mistake. That humanity has made. In the setting aside. And the rejection of Christ. They will realize in that day. The truth of this book. And the truth of the gospel. As Christ appears. In massive power. And comprehensive glory. The same one of whom it was said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. The same one who came and humbled himself and was seen as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. The same one who hung upon the cross impaled there by his own creatures that he had created because he loved them but was rejected by them. He will now come In great glory. Every eye will see him. And they will mourn for him. The one whom they have pierced. And nobody knows it says here exactly when that will be. Not the angels. Not even the sun. And so be ready. Is the warning. Prepare your heart. Bow your heart to Christ. Because in that day, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. There will be no doubt about it. That Jesus Christ is the Lord. To the glory of God the Father. It is for us the very essence of being a child of God now. Is that we bow that knee and make that confession to Christ at this stage. And say, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my Lord. To the glory of God the Father. I think this is the forgotten part of the Easter story. We don't often hear that woven in as part of what took place during that final week. Just before the crucifixion. I mean, we think the world is just going to roll on at times. In the way that it always has done. That uh, you know business and commerce and 
money and all the rest of it will just keep on being done. That all the great sporting events will just keep on taking place. That the music will, will, will keep on being played. That family and domestic affairs will just keep on going. That the whole world will just keep rolling along. And that will not happen. And the thing that brings it to an end, might I say, is not going to be a nuclear war. It's not going to be because Belarus's nuclear weapons. And it's not going to be environmental issues either. We're not at one minute to midnight because of environmental issues. What will bring this world to an end is the plan and the purposes of Christ. As he has laid them out for us here. The Christ that spoke about his death upon the cross at Calvary. Speaks to us today about his coming in power and great glory. If we were to have read Matthew's account of this. There are a couple of extra points of detail and information that are given. One of the the very pointed things that Jesus says in Matthew's account is this. There will be two men in a field together when Christ comes back. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women working together at the mill when Christ returns. One will be taken and the other will be left. And that's why he has these words Of warning to us. Waken up. Don't be deceived. Put your trust. In the words. Of Christ. Because this is real. And as he says here. Heaven and earth. May pass away. My words. About this. About our response. My words will never. Pass away. And these are the words that we have listened to today. Now shall we bow our heads in prayer. So Lord we come to you. We have heard the words of Christ himself read to us. With uh, the solemnity that he gave to these first disciples. Words that we can have confidence in. Depend upon. Help us therefore to take them to heart today. To grasp in our hearts and minds the reality of this teaching. That the Christ who came from heaven. And was seen in gentle lowliness. During his time on earth. Will one day return in power and great glory. As the judge over all the earth. And people will stand before him. And will be held accountable. And there will be those who will be ushered into his everlasting kingdom. And there will be those who will be barred from that. And it all depends on our belief in Christ. Help us all to bow the knee to Christ. To believe in him. To follow him. To call upon the name of the Lord. That we might be saved. To receive him as our saviour. Into our hearts. And so Lord. For your people may this be a comfort. May it also be a motivation. And may it be a challenge to those who are here today who are not yet in the place of trusting in Christ. We commit ourselves to you and your word to our hearts as we ask in his name. Amen.